0: Jill Robinson here, CEO of TRG Arts, the global consultancy firm committed to strengthening the arts and cultural sector. Welcome back to Leading the Way, where we share and discuss bold ideas with innovative leaders in arts management across the globe. You've tuned in to part two of my conversation with Tom Bird, Chief Executive of Sheffield Theaters. If you missed the first part of our conversation, I highly recommend you give it a listen. Tom generously shared his experiences and the key insights that have shaped his leadership approach, focusing particularly on keeping customers at the heart of every decision. As we delve into the second part of our dialogue, we get to the heart of our discussion on Nina Simon's influential book, The Art of Relevance. This text explores the importance of listening and how it can be woven into the fabric of our arts institutions, helping us lead with our ears and bake relevance into our business models, making our organizations truly a part of the communities we serve. So get comfortable, open your minds, and join Tom and I as we continue this journey into leadership and relevance in the arts sector. You think about the way that um, arts and culture, theater. We talk about blockbusters and and the, the 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 familiar. How it does open doors, right? But but it can't just be. It can't just stop there. This positive cognitive effect um, is part of an equation that researchers have found. Actually makes things relevant, so it has to open up some kind of dimension for you that goes beyond the novelty of the familiar. And the other thing that she describes the second piece is it's got to be low effort.
1: This is which this is, is it. interesting. Yeah, and um, that that was just really interesting for me because I hadn't really thought ever about effort, um, right? Or do you know the time I thought about it was trying to get um, people in London from communities that didn't traditionally go to the theatre to come to the Globe at that time. Um, uh-huh. And then I was like, okay, what kind of effort do you need to do? You need to come here. What kind of effort right. are you making to come here? And that was like crudely. That was like, do we need to put a bus on and and stuff like that? You know, in order to get people, in order to get people to come. But it, it this has just jolted me into thinking effort. You know what effort are we, requ- are we are we asking people to make to come to this show at sheffield theaters and
0: there's a book I'm reading uh, us alongside this called the effortless experience and um it it talks about what we can the 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 keys that unlock loyalty and we sometimes think um as leaders or marketers that that means you've got to create a superlative Ritz Carlton four seasons surprise and delight experience that that's what really unlocks loyalty and in the in the research says no actually it's about ensuring that i can get access and my experience over time is effortless and if i have a challenge it's solved quickly and easy, easily so this this This, I think, is part of what we're trying to get the field's attention about right now. Um, It's today not just enough to be back. It is now required, in addition, for us to be diagnosing how hard or easy, how hard are we making it for people to, especially people whom we're trying to engage uh, for the first time and consider... um, And consider theater, for example, for the first time. She also makes this point um, about when I said novelty in the familiar, that goes to that positive cognitive effect. Like if I can grab onto something that I feel like is familiar, like I, familiar to me in some way, but then I get in that door and, and it, and it does this thing cognitively there's some novelty there it seats me in a in a stickier way than if it's just a uh, a trick kind of uh uh uh, if it's just uh feels familiar and there's not a way to seize me and grab me so i don't know what to do with that i just it it yeah I, I, i think
1: um we've just done a show we've just done a show called standing at the sky's edge and um it's won best new musical at the Olivier Awards, but
0: mm, what's it called again? It's Say it called again.
1: Standing at the Sky's Edge,
0: uh-huh.
1: and it's in co-production with the National Theatre in London, and it's going okay. into the West End of London probably for a long run. But we, and that's important. But what we really care about it is it's set on the block of flats that you can see from the theatre. It's set in the Park Hill flats in Sheffield, and um, it's that's not enough on its own, but that's kind of a start and a way in for, um, people who live in the Park Hill flats now, oh, people who sure. lived in the Park Hill flats before. And then, we, yeah. and then, you know, we, um, shot that musical through with the music of Richard Hawley, who's a, like, Sheffield singer-songwriter, um, who maybe is appealing to, um, different communities to the to the communities who come to the theatre, and with a local writer, Chris Bush, and um, it it's going to have like commercial success in the West End, but it it has. She, Nina Simon uses the phrase about her surf, amazing surf festival thing.
0: Yeah, right, 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 says, right, right.
1: She says it fulfilled a deep de- desire for community cohesion and meaning, or something like that. And right, that's what right. I felt briefly, you know, just in standing at the sky's edge, you thought, oh, you're, you're approaching that.
0: Um, relevance theorists argue that the fundamental nature of relevance is not about familiarity. It's not about connecting something new with some with information you already have. It's about how likely that new information is to yield conclusions that matter to you to answer a question on your mind to confirm a suspicion to fulfill a dream to set your path forward it's like it 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 ignites something it's why so many successful stories of relevance cloak something novel in something familiar right yeah. so if you think about this that you've just described the setting is familiar but yeah. the story will it will do something to ignite the imagination, won't it? It will.
1: The setting f- and the, and and the reason it was novel in that context and probably another context is it gazed towards the future and said, "Here in Sheffield, what is coming after steel? Really, what what's coming now? What's coming after uh-huh, steel?"
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. So, totally on their mind, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so if i um, in this, in this other, in the same part of the book, as she's setting up and describing what relevance really the first part of the book describes what, what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about relevance? And so there's this bit, which is familiar, but novel familiar, but answer a question on my mind, confirm something, inspire me, help me, you know, click. Mm. Um, So it can't just be the trick of uh, it looks familiar. But she also says something that I learned about the way the brain works related to this making it easy. Um, She said, um, uh, too often we expect people to do the work of manufacturing relevance on their own. They, They won't. It's too much work. Our brains crave efficiency. If it, if it takes too many leaps to get from here to there, relevance goes down. The, the, the line needs not be straight, but it needs to be clear and short. So we've got to create ways for this to be easy for people. And, and how we do that, many cultural experiences are new to people. Many people have never visited a museum, climbed a volcano, or prayed in public before the novelty of these experiences doesn't diminish the potential for them to be relevant. They may be experience they may be extremely relevant. but often the effort required to make the connection isn't it, it's too hard. And so that's really also super interesting. Like when we think about the ways that we in arts and culture consider relevance, and how you track back to your experience at Shakespeare's Globe and what you had to do to create the connections and be in the communities and listen and really say in a different way than here's a jazz hands marketing campaign about something you should be interested in. That's what, uh uh-uh. That isn't it, is it?
1: No. I mean, here's here's an example, a practical example of of this is um, after the first lockdown in the uk in 2020 we were allowed to do we were allowed to do some theater and audiences had to be you know they couldn't be much bigger than i don't know like 50 people and 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 you had to be two meters away from one another and um all of those good measures that were put in place to stop the virus and um and we Pantomime, as I said earlier, you know that was the soul of York Theatre Royal, and it's the soul of British theatre. And um, we 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 developed a thing at York called the travelling pantomime. We said we've got to do a pantomime somehow, and people don't want to get the bus into into York. York's a small city of two hundred thousand people, um, but it it it's medieval. You know, most of it's from. From the twelve hundreds, and the streets, right. are, the streets right. are tiny. You can't walk down a street without being really close to someone. Not not friendly for COVID. Um, and so we said, okay, we're going to go to people. We're going to go to, and we said we'll go to every single neighbourhood in York. You know, each neighbourhood is like delineated by by the local authority. And we said we'll go to every single neighbourhood in York. That was twenty one different different areas, and. Um, so we showed up and we did a pantomime sometimes to kind of 30 people, 35 people. Um, wow. And um, it was with five actors and we could just afford it. Um, <laughs> and um, the, the audiences for that, I expected the audiences for that to be people who would normally just come in a 10-minute bus ride or a five-minute car ride to be, to be at the York Theatre Royal pantomime every Christmas. And then we did our analysis on the audience and it was completely different people.
0: <laughs>
1: and it was because we showed up and they because
0: and, we were there. Right.
1: And, and honestly, this is five minutes in the car. It's it. The, there isn't, I don't think of that as effort, but clearly some people did. And when oh we, gosh, yes. when we uh, made the, when we got rid of that effort, it made a difference to our audience.
0: This, this, this transitions to a little bit to how we do this, um, which I, I want to get to. But I love this part of the book because I think it applies to how we started this conversation. And it's what I was referencing. The two delusions about, ref, about relevance. Um, the first one is we believe what we do is relevant to everyone. We can connect it to everyday life. Ergo, it's relevant. Everyone can see the door. Everyone already has a key. They can open the door anytime they want. This is what this is what you're addressing right here. And she goes further to say, um, uh arguments for universal relevance are weak, even desperate. And I'm hearing this a lot right now, especially in theater. theaters for everyone. theaters we want theater be for everyone. And she says, you know, if you have to cry out that theaters for everyone or history is for everyone or whatever you're sort of already losing because you can't force a connection by relevance alone you have to do some of the things that you like you've just described you have to behave differently and decide and prioritize yeah who your who you want to be relevant to so that you can set it up well do, is your listening Designed to help you understand that. Are you talking about that at the board and staff level? Do you have an idea about who the priorities are for relevance in Sheffield yet? How are you going to take step one? Is it that listening? Well,
1: yeah, we don't know. We haven't designed the. We haven't designed the process yet. But it feels like certain that we must. It feels certain to me now that we have to like include um, asking people what kind of effort they're making to engage with us as part of that as part of that listening process right, and right. really design our organize it or in, let that inform our organizational strategy in the longer term um yeah i mean that that, that feels now incredibly important and i agree that if you're saying fears for everyone i mean it we i think that and I know that that traveling pantomime could have been enjoyed by everyone, but, but it, it became a huge thing in that it was on the BBC's kind of flagship morning show as an example of theatre during COVID. Um, and, it, and it enhanced the brand of York Theatre Royal significantly because we said, actually, right now, it's literally not for you if you're in this neighborhood, and it is for you if you're in this neighborhood. And we, we policed that strictly. We said, you can't buy a ticket. And this is like, again, this is um, this the opposite of how we're trained. We said, you cannot buy a ticket if you're in this neighborhood in Europe. You can only buy a ticket if you're in this um, postcode, zip code area. And um, it, we didn't have big volumes to sell. I'm not going to pretend we did. But it made it a unique and special experience.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it juxtaposes the ideas, right? Because what we know, like we said, is that creativity can belong to everyone and theater can be enjoyed by a broad cross-section, broad. The bigger, I think the bigger question she's raising is if you want to be relevant, you have to define really, um, you, you have to be prepared to behave differently and if you if you want to do it well start with some definitions about who you want to be relevant to don't just broad stroke it and she also says you know every short-sighted way that we get people's attention without capturing their imagination this cognitive bit it it checks boxes but it doesn't really change the connection that we have and she she wants us to be really really clear. And there she gives really examples of the ways we try to be relevant. Let's, you know, serve um, free food in the museum. Let's do these other tricks that sort of kind of open doors or make us cooler or um, so that we can say to ourselves or our boards or our communities, look at what we're doing to be different and more relevant when in fact it's not doing the hard work of engaging the people whom we want to be relevant to, in ways that ask the question. It goes back to this listening thing and the Reichelt thing. Like, how? What do? You, what do you want in this in this conversation with us? What do you um, need?
1: It, it feels like there's a sacrifice sort of inherent here that you have to make, which is like we, which isn't going to be easy for lots of. Uh, programmers, artistic directors, people like me and also marketing professionals where if you're saying this stuff, you have to make a sacrifice which is, it feels like sometimes you're saying for this brief moment we're not going to even try to welcome you and we're not going to even try to be relevant to you which feels terrifying to say but like if for example we're going to be relevant to the Somali community in Burngrieve in Sheffield we have to have a brief moment where we're not trying to be relevant to anyone else, possibly. That's, that's me thinking out loud. And if we, if we do that, then maybe they are added, hopefully in the long term, and I don't really know how to do this, but hopefully in the long term, they're added to the larger cohort who feel loyal to this organization.
0: So there's a really, really good example. And to your point, you, you are taking step one to listen. I've got a new hashtag I'm thinking about, which is leading with, leading with your ears. Like, how can we lead with our ears? Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a chapter here called Start at the Front Door, where she talks about we we make assumptions about people all the time so we she uses these examples. You're elderly, try the low impact aerobic class. You're Jewish. Have you read this book about Israel? You're a boy, use this restaurant. you're overweight. you don't belong you you should yeah you should you're overweight. you don't belong at this club and it translates to what it's it's she says the Relevance starts by appealing to the keys we already have. So we make assumptions about the keys you have. But if you're going to open new doors, especially with this cognitive connection, um, which she calls appealing to the heart in this particular section, you have to start at the front door and show that you're willing to invite people in on their terms with generosity, humility, and a nod to what speaks to them. And so we have to be able to engage a community in and ask and be willing to say, okay, that's what matters to you, whatever that is, programmatically, in terms of people you literally see at the front door, you know. She tells this wonderful story you remember about, um, was it a museum that was trying to create, I think it was, that was trying to create programming for their deaf community. And so they had um, probably ESL, um, uh, you know, interpreters put in this experience for people who could hear. And when they listened, they learned, no, that experience didn't work at all for us. We actually need something completely different. And so then they had to design a completely different experience for people that couldn't hear or couldn't hear well. I mean, what would that mean for a theater company?
1: Uh, This is what I'm really interested in and wrestling with and what the book really I it's not frustration I had with the book, but I I just couldn't leap um, from, okay, how do I do those things? How how do I, how do we design those new experiences? Um, How do we get the space to do that without interrupting what we've always done and not fall off a cliff in the meantime? How do we build the bridge? How do we build the scaffolding, you know, that allows us to be there? And I, I don't know that I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, because um everyone will recognize this, but everyone will feel like they have a business model that relies on um that relies on a way of working that's been long established or maybe, you know, maybe others will hold this less dear than, than Sheffield theaters, because at the moment, because of our unique sort of buildings, um, our business model is, is, is holding up well. Um, how do you free up the space in order to design those new experiences without, without tumbling over while you're changing? And that feels tricky.
0: (laughs) So you'll remember because you lived there and I only learned about secondhand, ACE isn't the only Arts Council England isn't the only um, foundations in America do this. I'm sure Canada Council. Uh, um, but it requires investment capital. It requires capital to test and learn, right? Yeah. And that's and and it requires a long term vision. So when she's talking about these. I, she, she uses the word tricks th- then they're marketing tricks. Often we've got this program, jazz hands come and see that's yeah. not sticky. If we're really trying to engage the Somali, let's just yeah. select that for discussion yeah. community. Then we have to think in terms of 10 years, not one year, right? Yeah. So 10 years, not yeah. one year and, and the funding that enables that test and learn environment to take place over time um, and you had the that you had funding for a purpose at shakespeare's globe w- w- like if you use that as an example w- w- was it ha- is there an example of did a community say you have to actually change the way you do what you do yeah yeah yeah
1: so in it, this is 2012 it's quite a while ago but but like you know the 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 we were going out to an area of west london called southall um, where there are lots of people for whom hindi is, is the first language and they said like don't even try to show up out here with um flyers in english or like marketing collateral in english like like eat. no it wasn't quite that simple that Because everyone would understand it, actually. But um, we would be making an extra kind of um, um, reaching out gesture um, for another much better way of putting it. If our flyers for Twelfth Night by the company theatre from Mumbai, we're in Hindi. um, Right. And and the show is in Hindi. Right. um, So we... I mean this right. is really basic, but we translated the we translated the the marketing materials in into Hindi and that's that were, but we had the funding, yeah, we had the funding to do it and, and it was from it was a really, really unique moment in London where there was funding available for for that kind of thing. And carving out that carving out that, that spare investment. There
0: there is the thing, right? So the question I would ask you is, what's the board-level conversation? What's the ace conversation? What's the conversation that says, we actually want to do this in a way that is substantial and long-term, not situational and cute? And so as a result, we are going to need the investment capital.
1: Yeah, and that's really important because even that project, sorry to interrupt, even that project in London... Was situational and cute, and at, t- uh-huh. at Sheffield yeah. at Sheffield theatres, we we were given um, an amazing grant by the Garfield Western Foundation to do a project called Together in the City, and we did extraordinary stuff in um, all sorts of areas in Arbuthnott and Manatop in Sheffield, where we were engaging um, people who said to us that they were that they were engaging with Sheffield theatres for the first time. And then the funding stopped. And um, right. what we've got to find a way of doing, and I, I'm using this phrase, we've got to bake it into a business model.
0: Yeah, but that's exactly that's exactly right. And not assume that they won't buy the tickets because because people will buy tickets for things that they value, right? Yeah. How can we bake it in so that it is fundable over the long term? She says, relevance is a process, not a momentary door flinging open. Exactly. Exactly. Most people experience relevance gradually over, over time as their lives bring them back into the room over and over again for different reasons at different times. And we have to cultivate that. And you've got to involve them. So find a way to build the new doors based on their values, based on their values that fit their keys. This is exactly, exactly what we're talking about. Then she talks about dumbing it down. So now I'm not sure that that's what we're going to hear. I'm not sure that that's what we're going to hear at all, or you're going to hear rather, when you start to engage the community. Um, But, but uh, I remember when we were engaging in this conversation, (laughs) when we were engaging in this conversation about listening, one of the biggest fears was, okay, so we're going to ask people, and this is what you're talking about doing. I mean, the work that you've done around Net Promoter Score and around listening and embedding that, that you're going to want to reignite because you you don't dare do this and not have some kind of mechanism that ensures you're hearing as you're going, right? But one of the biggest fears was, um, you know, What if we don't like what we hear? And what are we going to do with that discomfort when we don't like what we hear? And what if, so she's got this, this chapter about dumbing it down. What if we hear that we've got to, um, that we've got to change who we are and change how things are delivered. She uses a website as an example, but you know, and I I, I, maybe one more thing. And then I want, I want your feedback. I was talking yesterday to a woman who's running a classical music organization in Houston, Texas, and she's changing entirely. I mean, classical music is sort of hidebound, right? You open up with an overture and you go into a concerto and then you've got the symphony and she's like, no, 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 let's, let's make, let's, let's change this up. Let's, when people come into the concert hall let's in their program book have a layout of the orchestra so that they know what the instruments are let's have house lights up during the concert so that people can read the, the thing just and and that's dumbing it down
1: i just refuse to accept that that, that um appealing to a different group to whom you might have appealed before or adding to those to whom you appeal brings with it um, an art that's intrinsically of, of, of like lower quality. I just, I just, I don't understand why that would be, why that would be the case. And I've not heard, um, you know, we, we just I mean we did just win best new musical at the Olivier's for for a show about you know the decline of the steel in well for a show that's kind of about the decline of the steel industry and 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 the, the steel industry was and is run um by by a vastly broad um demographic within Sheffield so like um that that was high art and it was relevant to people who used to work in the steel industry. Like totally I just totally, 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 totally refuse. I totally refuse the the idea that engaging like new communities brings with it a kind of lesser art somehow.
0: Well, she she segues to this thing about, you know, sometimes it's the insiders, our audience insiders, our loyalists, our people who've enjoyed theatre. Um, for a long time who say, I wonder if you, you, I'm sure you do relax performances, Sheffield. We haven't talked about yeah. this. Do you? Yeah. yeah. That's an example, right. Where we are working to create an environment where people who have different needs um, can be comfortable while they're watching theater. Um, and that's, a, I think that's been successful, right. Uh, um, did, I don't know. No, i'm not a theater leader so i don't know if there was any sort of test and learn about how that gets implemented and or if there was any pushback in any way shape or form about about those
1: no i mean that's been an interesting one because that's that's one where lots of people in the know tell you oh it's going to be really complicated for your audience and really uh, difficult for your audience to make that leap and then you you do it and no one's bothered i mean no right and people just kind of ro- roll into into that new reality, um, right? So, you know, you, you um, if if you build like an organizational loyalty over time, you can make changes, and audiences trust you to make those changes.
0: Yeah, um, right, right, on, right. On the whole right. We talked uh, a lot when I first read this book. It was pre-pandemic, and. Um Nina's an American, as you know and and her conversation about relevance was picked up a lot in in the in the arts and cultural sort of narrative and foundations were very interested in 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 funding it and so there was a lot of conversation about it and in the context of our work around customer loyalty and the advocate buyer trier kind of paradigm that we have there's a there's a part in the midsection of the book where she says, look, you got to get real about how some of these changes, as we've just described, might unsettle your current loyalists who love their Yellowstone, who love their opera, who love their thing. And the, the, one of the key jobs, she says, is to create open-hearted insiders, people who... And so I, I translated that to open-hearted advocates. And maybe that's part of the answer for funding. Like you know your team knows who your advocates are, so who's to say that you wouldn't be able to engage them in helping take their beloved to new communities and wouldn't help you get the the resources to do it
1: i I think there's loads of fear about this that doesn't actually really exist in those patrons when you talk to them. I remember a members event at York Theatre Royal, where we used to, you know, as loads of arts organisations do, we used to tell the members the new season like 24 hours before the press got it so that they felt.
0: Yes. Um, right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the guy at the back, an older
1: guy stood up at the back and he said, you're failing. This is in the first year. He said you're failing because we're, we're all old. Oh, Aha. Uh-huh. And um, where are the young people at this event? This means uh-huh. you've got no young members. Like you're failing. And I think we tell ourselves a lot that that the older that the older people in that in that example um, want to be surrounded by old people, or that the the white people want to be surrounded by white people. And I don't think that's true. Right. Uh, if you actually ask, that of course it's true in some cases. Um, yeah. I don't think it's true in the majority for arts attenders no way they want that they want especially to organizations to which they're loyal and they believe in uh and that they know in in the case of england publicly funded like they they want that diverse audience they want those organizations to have a future Um, and 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 they will stand up in that case he stood up and he kind of shouted at me and i'm so glad he did (laughs) Because it made me realize, God, no, okay, don't be so cautious. Like, don't don't be too cautious, because they eventually will get sick of you trying to over cater to them.
0: The opportunity, I think, exists entirely as you think about the current business model and how to fund it. In creating a after your listening sessions, creating a an effort, a campaign, a decades long something that engages people in helping you fund experimentation and creating new audiences. And I think you could go to your loyalist to help you do that. So that's the first thought. The second is single ticket buyers, depending on the programming, can be quite different than long-term members or subscribers and their satisfaction and their net promoter scores declined when they were in venues that had a high volume of subscribers. I, I'm super interested in what what I don't remember testing is what happened to net promoter scores of subscribers if they were in rooms that looked, you know, more diverse and more interesting. Um, it would be really interesting to see what that dimension is and what that reality is because I'll bet a million bucks you're right. You know If you love something, you want everyone to love it on the main you know, on the main, a couple of things, final things that hit my attention. She talks about relevance. Let's consider this 10 year vision. She said um, institutions that fight against relevance, ignore its potential impact at their peril. And, you know, before the pandemic, we were saying, look, communities across the West maybe around the globe, but certainly across the West are changing demographically, things are changing. So we know we ignore this at our peril. And at the very beginning, as she's describing relevance, she said, we need to matter to more people if we want our work to shine. So it's both math and mission. Um, So you ignore it at your peril And then she says, institutions that embrace the challenges of relevance, invest in their potential. They raise the money. They garner the political will. They change as needed. And sometimes those changes hit the mark and everybody's really, you know, happy and relevance surges and sometimes they miss and hardworking change makers end up exhausted and disheartened and and that's true with current audio you know, audiences, right? So your your point about building it into the business model, like yes, but she says the people I worry, I don't worry about. You ignore it at your peril, and if you invest in it, like bully on you, good on you, and just know that it, that that it's going to show up a lot, like a lot of the day in a day at work we do. But she says the the, the people I worry about are the institutions that equivocate, that are schizophrenic in relationship to this thing called relevance. They swing between issuing press releases about change while simultaneously ensuring reassuring insiders that none of the good stuff is going to be changed. And they pat themselves on the back in the morning and go to bed fearful at night
1: yeah oh, it's just a, i i i just couldn't agree more with that i mean that's that's um i just know more and more that um you like you cannot right now be in the middle of the road at york i i felt that we were programming um Sometimes, like an Arthur Miller play from a touring company, and then we were producing an Arthur Miller play ourselves, and I was like, "We're just we're just hanging around like a middle ground between um, commercial uh, mission-led um, mission stuff and commercial stuff." And and we're Sheffield theatres down the road. It has got the Lyceum, and it's saying in there we are commercial, and it's got the Crucible, and they're saying in there we are not commercial, and. Um, what we did at york is um we just said all right in this week we're going to we're not going to try and hit our mission and we're going to make loads of money to fund the to fund the cool and um in this week we are going to lose money but it'll be fine because we know we'll already have made money in there we're not always going to try and have um, a net contribution, a net financial contribution from every single week in the year, because that will lead to us being really—it will lead to us equivocating about the organisation. Um, we will be trying to be relevant to everyone, and um, that was a bumpy ride. Like that was a bumpy ride because it meant that sometimes we lost, you know, more money than we would want to on a single week, and sometimes we got a lot of heat for being kind of too commercial from our, you know, what, what what Americans would think of as a su- subscriber base. So, um, but I'm pretty sure that she's right about equivocation it, 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 in the broader sense. It just feels like it's not going to work. Um, pre- yeah, pretending.
0: I wonder, right. I wonder if, in fact, part of the magic here is where I, I wanted to sort of wrap up this conversation about the book. And it goes back to what you described was one of the changes that you drove at York Theatre Royal, which was using data. Because she says, you can measure relevance. You can absolutely measure. Are you attracting new people? Are they, And, and, and she says it's awkward. Sometimes it's awkward. You have to get over it. She says, uh, collecting data can be awkward. You have to get over it. You have to figure it out. You have to be able to tell the story. Is this working? And in your prior example, some things were commercial, made the money that funded the cool, that enabled the thing that attracted fewer people, but met the mission of what theater was trying to be about. Well, this might be that plus the The cool is connecting theater to different kinds of communities and there will be test and learn. And one of the drivers or answers about its success will be in raw numbers and dollars, but other drivers will be, are they new people? Are they coming back? What does, she references the net promoter score actually. What are they saying? What are you learning from them? Are they coming back as a member or are they coming back at all? What do you learn about them in terms of what they might say about how they felt after experiencing it? Measuring it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Measure it in audiences. Also, measure the content of your own work and evaluate your own work in an honest way and, um, so that um you you know whether something you you can then cross-reference that with the audience data and and know whether that has that has worked or not i'll i'll explain better what i mean is um we know that like we know that attention spans are kind of um you know under uh, shorter than ever before and um and but like no one wants to give up on Shakespeare or 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 like a Mozart symphony but like what happens to the the metrics of relevance in your audience when you actually say Hamlet's not going to be four hours long it's going to be 90 minutes long or if you cut um movements two and four out of that Mozart symphony and like terrifying and iconoclastic maybe but um but, like, cross-reference that with your relevance. And, there, and and the great thing about that is it means you can still do Hamlet. And, it, and I don't know, if, it, if, it, if it, it means you can still do, if you can make the cherry orchard relevant to a whole new group of people um, who are interested in ecology, for example, um, by making the cherry orchard an hour long, then, like, maybe that's a jump you have to do. And that's amazing because you've got the new audience and you've still got the cherry orchard.
0: That's the example of dumbing it down, right? But that's a perfect example. I was talking to another leader in your um, country that works in opera who was asking the same questions. I mean, for for existing opera lovers, a a four-hour opera is just great. It's what they relish. But for new audiences... Is that how is that the right key? Is that the right set of experiences as they come in the door? Um,
1: but it go. needs honest evaluation. The reason I said it there in response to, yes. to what you said is it needs it needs a kind of internal data, data yes. gathering and then honest yes. evaluation alongside the external data gathering that you're doing, and then you have to put one on top of the other and go, okay, what made it? You know, what made a yeah. difference
0: here? Called the cult. It's a presenting. Um, um, venue in East Vancouver. And they present all kinds of work. And in addition to dance and um, comedy and um, Shakespeare, they said, we're going to overlay a missional <clears throat> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A, 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 a relevance lens on it and begin programming for new audiences, for people of color, for our LGBTQ plus community, for our indigenous community. So they began to program specifically. And like you're talking about, they were listening and visiting and embedding themselves in those communities to understand what would you be interested in? in seeing on our stages. And then to your point, they organize that data um, and we help them look at, of did you meet, did you meet the mark? Were, were those people actually coming and did they come back? Did they cross over to other programs? Do we care? Which of those programs are the most sticky and repeat? And they found some very wonderfully surprising things like, for instance, the um, the programming that they did for new audiences. That was a distinct category. I remember was less wildly, less sticky than the programming that they that they did for specific communities, their indigenous community, for instance. Um, There's. Data and measuring can help us be, it can help be a guiding light. I think it can help us keep our, keep steadfast. If we, if we tell, are able to tell the story, look, look what we're accomplishing and it can debunk myths too. Um, And fear. The fear of the, you know, uh, one hour Shakespeare. Uh, that it de- that that's that that does. What are we doing there? Well, let me show you. Let me tell you what we're doing here. And mm-hmm.
1: and, and I don't think artistic directors are scared of that because it's innovation and they love innovation. Uh-huh.
0: uh-huh.
1: They're, they're innovating artistically, like uh, which is what they they want to do. You know, if, if yeah, if that if that Mozart symphony is kind of rejigged. Um, in a way that's never been done before. And it has a kind of demonstrable impact and a measurable impact on audiences. Boy, that's that's amazing artistic innovation.
0: Yep. Okay. So I think it's super, super, super interesting. This story that, about the Olympic time at Shakespeare's Globe and what you did there, I mean, and where and what you're talking about right now in this whole conversation about relevance, I didn't anticipate that part of the story, Tom Bird. So it's a kind of a full circle, super cool moment for you at Sheffield Theaters to be able to say, I've had these experiences all along the way. And in this community, I'm putting words in your mouth, but in this community, I want to create a way in which creativity through theater can be felt by multiple communities in this um, in this town, city—not just the west side of the city, but more of the city. And Nina's book, "The Art of Relevance," and her—I don't, you know—I'll I'll be interested to learn how Arts Council England, who has invited her to participate in this conversation about relevance in um, in the UK but there's so I'm so glad we got a chance to read this book together and I'm so glad for it's timing right now for you and Sheffield Theaters
1: the the work the work I think will feel impossible and really really difficult and Nina says this to a lot of people but with the right focus and the right resourcing and I know there are they, they are huge huge things to get right um it it's not impossible because like it's it's done in pockets isn't it it's done in pockets it happened in London in 2012 and it and it's happened it, it happened on the beach in Santa Cruz uh, and and it and it it's demonstrably doable uh, but um I, I think the next step for everyone and Like there couldn't be a more exciting challenge is to is to stop it being a one-off and and bake it into that to your organizational model.
0: Yeah, bake it into the business model. That's right. And I think, you know, I talked with our team and I think Sheffield Theatres is absolutely the partnership that you and Rob have, his experience and creativity. Your experiences and the work that your team has already built—you know—I just I see this whole process of listening, identifying, starting to operationalize data analysis that tells a story, the 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 the, the naming of the intention and the engaging of your stakeholders in this, exciting them, you know, about creating open-hearted insiders, mm-hmm. open-hearted advocates who want to help make that happen, that 10 years from now, we're gonna still know each other and I'm going to ask you, and we're going to um, tell, a, tell another story, but maybe two years from now even, there'll be interesting, um, interesting things to talk about. Listen. I am so grateful to you for taking this time. It's such a delight and pleasure to know you. Thanks. 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 Thanks, Tom Bird.
1: Thanks so much, Jill. It's brilliant. It's brilliant to be here. And thanks for such an inspiring chat. I I want to get up and do some of this right now.
0: (laughs) I'm inspired as well. Thank you, Tom.
1: That's all for this episode of Leading the Way with Jill S. Robinson, brought to you by TRG Arts. Thanks for listening and believing that insightful, daring, and innovative leadership is the way to a more resilient future for the arts and cultural industry. Make sure to subscribe to Leading the Way on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you found this episode helpful, please rate and review the show. For additional resources and to sign up for the podcast newsletter, we invite you to visit our website at leadingthewaypodcast.com.